0: This is Generation Justice, a multimedia movement that trains youth to harness the power of media for social change. I'm Aaron Hagler.
1: And I'm Kateri Zuni. Tonight, we honor our planet on this Earth Day weekend by bringing you the stories of New Mexicans who traveled to the 2015 United Nations Climate Change Summit in Paris.
0: At the 21st Annual Conference of the Parties, or COP Summit, representatives from UN countries gathered to reach a on what to do about global climate change. But... Their plans do not require enough from states, and they ignore Indigenous rights.
1: During this summit, thousands of activists, Indigenous groups, and grassroots organizers filled the streets of Paris to demand their voices be heard. The Southwest Organizing Project sent a delegation to join in the call, and we will hear their stories tonight.
0: We've also selected some superb music to carry us through the show. Here is Earth Revolution by Takaya Blaney. The COP21 summit was a place for grassroots organizers and activists to come together in solidarity and demand that UN leaders and countries take notice of the peoples and places that suffer the most because of climate change and ineffective policy.
1: Three New Mexican women, Emma Sandoval, Beva Sanchez-Padilla, and Amanda Gallegos from the Southwest Organizing Project, traveled to Paris and rallied in solidarity with the rest of the world's climate change organizers.
0: Recently, they recounted stories of their experience during the It Takes Roots Report Back from Paris, which was held at the Albuquerque Peace and Justice Center. Let's listen in.
2: My name is Emma Sandoval. I'm the lead organizer with the Southwest Organizing Project, and I was one of the people that was able to go as a part of this delegation to go to Paris.
3: My name is Beva Sanchez-Padilla, and I'm one of the organizers at SWAP. Hi, everyone. My name is Amanda, and I worked at SWAP, and now we're here. In, in our own humble way, we'll let you know what the COP21 was to us, and it's called the Conference of Parties to the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. In Paris, from November 30th to December 11th, almost every nation on the planet met as negotiators to attempt to forge a treaty by December 11th to stave off irreversible catastrophic climate change. The COP21 was supposed to be a culmination of more than two decades of work at the UN to transform society, ending the fossil fuel era and shifting to renewable energy and drastically reduce greenhouse gas emissions. The agreement of the heads of the countries and global corporations was a complete fraud, not binding and unenforceable. The real cause of global warming is our reliance on oil and coal. The agreement took us backwards. At least the Kyoto Accord in 1997 included binding language, while the Paris Accord does not. Naomi Klein, and many of you have heard of her work, made the link between the reliance on oil and the disastrous wars of recent years. She says, do we think Iraq would have been invaded if their major export had been asparagus? <laughs> Probably not. We wanted that prize in the West, Iraqi's oil. This destabilized the whole region, which was not particularly stable to begin with because of earlier oil wars and coups and support of dictatorships. That is a quote by uh, Naomi Klein. At the same time the official meetings took place over 130 organizations and groups gathered with thousands and thousands of people from all over the world in hundreds of actions, assemblies, marches, meetings, performances, forums, campaigns, installations, strategies and conversations led by frontline communities who have been experiencing the effects of our climate destruction for decades. The youth, women, and peasants, and indigenous people led with great strength and inspiration, providing leadership and solutions to what was once called the environmental movement. Southwest Organizing Project has been involved with the environmental justice movement for a long time. Now the language is evolving to environmental racism, environmental justice, and now what we're calling climate chaos. When I got back, my father had saved every urinal, I call the journal the urinal, that had been published while we were gone, and there were like two articles, and they were all dealing with the COP, not the alternative demonstrations that we
4: were involved in. We were invited to go with GGJ, grassroots global justice, and really what GGJ was seeking to do was to really bring frontline communities to like, the decision-making process. When we say frontline communities, what they're referring to is us as poor people, as people of color, as women. So really what they were trying to do was bring the real people impacted by climate change to this decision-making process. So that was kind of how Beva and Emma and I ended up being able to go.
2: As Amanda was like briefly saying, Grassroots Global Justice is a coalition of organizations around the United States who are working to build power for low-income communities of color. They also do work around like international movement building. So it's like having those kind of conversations with people around the world and building with them in solidarity with, with their struggles and knowing it is directly connected to our communities and how they're impacted. The delegation was called It Takes Roots to Weather the Storm. It wasn't just the GGJ crew that made up It Takes Roots delegation, there was also Indigenous Environmental Network, which is a network of of Indigenous people who are doing organizing in their communities around the United States. And then also Climate Justice Alliance, which is another national-based organization that does work around climate change. And these are all the lists of the organizations that went affiliated with either IEN, CJA, or GGJ. Um, Iraq Veterans Against the War, Cooperation Jackson, Black Mesa Water Coalition. They were able to go and most organizations got to take two people. We were really fortunate that we were able to take three and we were able to like fundraise additional funds to get an extra person to go so that we can all be a part of this like very intergenerational delegation that got to go to Paris. The Paris Agreement is not based on what is scientifically necessary to address climate change. The agreement allowed countries to claim reduction throughout polluting trading schemes, so otherwise known as carbon neutrality rather than the reduction of pollution at emissions at any source. So carbon trading is basically like a, where one company wants to be able to pollute, they have to be able to buy the ability to pollute through buying how much emissions they can put into the ozone, and they can trade them or buy them from other people. And so we know that that is a false solution. Overwhelmingly what we heard, especially from indigenous communities, was oil, gas, coal, just leave it in the ground. The agreement includes reliance on dirty energies and false solutions, including fracking, nuclear power, fuels, and others. Whereas opposed to like moving to renewable energy was still very reliant on extraction methods that we know are harmful to communities. The agreement also weakens or strips the right of reparations owed to Global South by the Global North. It doesn't give like an opportunity for those people to get back what they're owed since their communities have literally been destroyed by the global north of the world. And then the operation text of the agreement does not include any mention of human rights or the rights of indigenous people. So those were like some of the main things that we thought were critical things that needed to be in the agreement that like weren't in the agreement. Weeks before we went out there, there was a terrorist attack that happened where there was several people who were killed in different spaces in Paris. And because of that, there was a lot of things that happened. Like everybody kept saying like, are you still gonna go? Right. And so for us, it was like, of course, we're still going to go, because for one, this is still really important. And for two, part of the reason why things like this happen is because of like capitalism and imperialism and white supremacy around the world. And so we know that those things, as tragic as they are, they happen as a part of what we've done to the world. And so it was especially important for people from the United States to go to the COP21 and tell the U.S. leaders from our communities, even where we like live in the United States, that they don't represent us, and that they're harming us as well as harming with people around the world when they still choose to extract and when they still choose to ignore how we're hurting the rest of the planet. Really. Well, there was supposed to be, I think, like one to one million people that were going to like converge inside Paris. But as a result of this, a lot of people, especially people not necessarily from the United States, but around the world got denied visas, or their visas got pulled. So all of a sudden they were like getting ready to go to Paris and everybody couldn't go. And there was a lot of people that even chose not to go because of fear. And so it was a lot smaller than we thought. And then another thing was they actually put a ban on protesting. They shut down all public action during the whole time we were there which was really messed up, and it was very intentional, a very deliberate way to, like, silence our communities from being able to say anything. So we did have ways that we were able to get around that, and that was two days before we got there. Another big part of, like, why we went up there was, and then after the Paris attacks, another thing that had happened was they, like, the security measures were so heightened that nobody can get in there. Like, we actually never went to where the COP21 was happening. We weren't allowed to go there. There were some people that had clearance who were able to. There was, I think, four people from our delegation that were able to go in there. So as a part of that, and was a pushback to that, was we held our own People's Climate Summit. All the people that came together and talked on our own about uh, what are the solutions that meet frontline communities? But every single night there were General Assemblies, and then in the General Assembly they would come back and tell everybody about what was happening in the COP21 agreement and give report backs because none of us could go there. And so one of the most impactful things I heard that day was somebody was like, you know how much money it would cost us? They keep saying it's it's really expensive to go to like solar and, and win for the US. It would cost us like $65 billion to do that. And then you know how much money we spent in the Iraq war? 69 billion dollars, so actually we spent more money there in that one war, it's about priorities and the United States clearly isn't prioritizing these things at all. And so we are talking about what would it look like and how would our communities benefit from transitioning into clean energy where that our people in our communities would be trained to have those kind of jobs.
0: I'm happy to see that three women from our community were able to travel to this world summit to speak about issues that greatly affect the most marginalized people in our society. Another point I agree with is that of environmental racism and how this can have negative repercussions in the form of terrorism and how our country's priorities are skewed when it comes to environmental responsibility.
1: I agree. To hear that our spending during the Iraq war could have more than paid for a comprehensive and sustainable switch to clean energy is appalling. Our country is a world leader. We need to face the facts about what's happening in our environment and start making real, effective change because we just can't afford to waste the knowledge and resources we have.
0: Now we'll dive back into some music. Here is Indigenous Roots by Earth Guardians. You don't understand. We fight for the people for the planet we stand as a government and industries walk hands in hand we will fight for our rights against the tar stands. We will take back our streets. This is our land. Women, children, and indigenous people around the world are often the ones who carry the heaviest burdens from problems like climate change, poverty, violence, and poor policy making.
1: As we rejoin the stories of the COP21 summit, the women of SWAP share the powerful words of other women and indigenous people from around the world and what climate change means to their land, their bodies, and their way of life. Here again are Emma, Beva, and Amanda.
3: One of the most exciting things that happened was the fact that we were dorming in a room in a hostel with nine other women and Four of them were from other countries. So that was very, very exciting. I did take some notes from this particular assembly and some quotes from each of these women. Sophia from Kenya said, women have the solutions. Women experience the pain one or two times more in our patriarchal society. Women are not relenting. We are in the front of change and are the agents of change. We are not victims. Amanda from North Dakota said, as an eagle woman, I must tell you that we have man camps where the fracking is taking place. Our young native women are forced to serve them. Fracking is a false solution. Men have lost their role. We will take the climate back. Rita from Nigeria said, there is a plantation expansion. Oil is being dumped in our streams. There has been an ecological system of destruction in our rivers. We must struggle to create the change we desire. We as women must bring people together. We create the necessary solutions. We need the forests for our medicine. Rose Brewer from the United States said, Black women produce knowledge. We must be strategic as we dismantle the heteropatriarchal system that does not represent our planet. The most vulnerable are poor black women and children, says Rose Brewer. We must dismantle the aggressive profit seeking system and the military industrial machine, the biggest polluters of all. Fatima from Morocco said As women, we are the most vulnerable. We are not taught how to swim or drive, yet we take care of the crops, the water, and the seeds. We have the knowledge. We are fighting and building and repowering relationships. And she said this, girls just want to have fundamental rights. (laughs) Pam Lee, an elder from San Francisco, who I was lucky enough to get to know well, called herself a work in progress. And as a lifelong activist and product of the movement in San Francisco, she said to our youth-led movement, Be a warrior. Be fierce. Be courageous. Take risks. Don't be afraid. Learn and truly understand each other's struggle. Be an internationalist. I think, for me, what was most impressive was the joy that these women had in the work that they're doing. As opposed to, many times, as you're doing justice work, you're just like always burdened with problems and sometimes feeling like our communities are victims. But the the spirit that these women gave to women uh, and men who are working in social justice movements was just incredible
4: kind of before we had gone to Paris, just um, talking to people there, at first it seemed like there was a lot of different sentiments about the attacks that had happened and the refugees and kind of that whole situation. But when we got there, what we found is that most of the French people within the movement were really trying to support refugees and kind of uh, really oppose like all the hatred that was being thrown around. And what we actually did was we went to this um, kind of jail they have in paris that 's mainly for refugees, so it was a little rough to get going. I mean the French police were there, the police were there, and there was a lot of confusion about whether or not we were allowed to be there, but it was also across the street from like this really really fancy racetrack and like casino, so it's like jail on one side, and then like a bunch of rich people betting on horses on the other side. but there was a lot of people there and it was really cool because this is kind of our first opportunity to really like connect with the f- other French
2: people. The action was supposed to be from the U.S. delegation specifically to call out U.S. leaders and say, like, you don't represent us. Your solutions are like not good. They don't just hurt poor people in the U.S., but they hurt people around the world. And that it was our one way of trying to tell them that. So we did defy the ban that day. We were really lucky. And the first time we defied the ban was at the... Ref Detention Center, but we also got to do that at this time, too, and we were, I think, pretty fortunate. There was a lot of fear something was gonna happen, so we tried to be extra theatrical about it because we didn't want to, like them to be afraid of like what we were doing, because we were kind of afraid that we were gonna get arrested. There was always that fear, I think, of potential of us getting arrested.
3: On December the 12th, we had a, an indigenous gathering in front of Notre Dame that was moved by the military there was a lot of negotiation with the police before they called the military and the spokespeople were trying to communicate that in fact it was a spiritual day and that in fact it was a spiritual action and after lots of discussion it was decided that by the military that they decided that it was a political act and they immediately started folding all of our banners and moved us off of the notre dame square we ended up walking in, in a long line along a river and had actions there. As you know, because of some people here, we had Indigenous Day, and there were big signs that had the R-E-D-D with a great line through it. A lot of people didn't know what those were. That was really the focus of the Indigenous people. And I'm gonna read to you what uh, they feel about reducing emissions from deforestation and degradation. That's what R-E-D-D said. And I know I saw those signs at, at our Indigenous Peoples Day. The Paris Accord equals crime against humanity and Mother Earth. No red, no CO2 colonialism. Instead of cutting CO2 and greenhouse gas emissions, the UN, the US, and the EU, China, Norway, and and climate criminals like BP, Total Shell, Chevron, Air France and BHP Billiton are pushing a false solution to climate change called RED, reducing emissions from deforestation and degradation. RED is a carbon offset mechanism which privatizes the air that we breathe and uses forests agriculture and water ecosystems in the Global South as sponges for industrialized countries' pollution instead of cutting emissions at source. Red may result in the largest land grab in history. It steals your future, lets polluters off the hook, and is a new form of colonialism. No privatization of nature. And you can go online and look up No Red or Global Alliance Against Red. There's lots and lots of information, but it's very deceiving because there are communities that are receiving thousands and thousands of dollars for this, our industrialized food system, which people at SWAP have been involved in, this whole land sovereignty or food sovereignty movement, we're finding out is also one of the great polluters. There were a couple of presentations made by peasants and La Via Campesina, people who have been working in uh, rural situations and in farming situations that have
4: answers. There's a lot of different indigenous people, some from Washington, Oregon, from Arizona, but also like from Brazil and Argentina. So what the indigenous people planned as a collective action was to ride their canoes through the channel that runs through Paris. And the Argentinian people had actually carved out this canoe out of like this very old tree and they brought it to Paris to kind of give it like as a gift.
2: COP had already closed so they just coincidentally decided to release the ban that day. So all of a sudden they were like, you guys can protest now that it's over and that people are gone. We finally got to like do it and it was really big, there was supposed to be like I said I think they were like trying to have a million people there at this last thing and I think it was closer to like 55,000 people or something but it stretched a really long way. I think it was 500,000. So just to give a little
4: context a lot of this was organized by like the French groups but within their movement there's not a whole lot of coalition and solidarity they're very separated on certain issues. There was a lot of single actions that were planned to go on throughout the day,
2: and our delegation decided that we kind of wanted to check out a few of them. We were trying to get to a next action that was going to be taking place at the Eiffel Tower, but you couldn't get through. Like, every street was blocked off by police, and it was, like, huge military presence. and all the subways were shut down, all the whole block. So our group and another group of uh, the It Takes Roots delegation and, and the delegation from Via Campesino were like, let's just walk to the Eiffel Tower. There's no other way we can get there. And all of a sudden, everybody started to follow us. So we like literally led a march of thousands of people from there to the Eiffel Tower almost on accident. And It was like cr- crazy powerful and exciting and a little bit scary. Uh, we almost got ran over a couple times, and then we had to like block the streets down. Thank God lots of us have had like experience with how to handle that kind of like actions. It was chaotic. Uh, Literally people were trying to like drive through the crowds of people. So it was a little bit dangerous and a little bit crazy, but really freaking awesome at the same time. Even the French people were a
4: little apprehensive of us because the French people were really communicating with the military to like let them know like what they were doing and like we didn't really care. And we kind of inadvertently started this big march and they were kind of Not like, upset, but confused that we just did that.
0: From hearing this, I was able to consider all of the environmental crimes that nations commit, like fracking, industrializing our food system, and misappropriating our water. I like that these women stress the importance of us young people being warriors in the fight for environmental justice and equity.
1: Yes, and as an indigenous woman and a feminist, I know that empowering women and girls is the first step to making real progress in climate change, poverty, and a slew of other problems. I just love to hear about how three women from New Mexico inadvertently ended up leading thousands of people under this common voice of change. It's such a wonderful metaphor for the power of women.
0: Now, here is No No Keshe by Buffy St. Marie. You're listening to Generation Justice. Tonight, we are sharing the stories of the Southwest Organizing Project and their participation at the 2015 UN COP21 Summit in Paris.
1: So Aaron, climate change is a global issue, but what about the environmental issues that are going on in our own backyards?
0: That's a great question, Kateri. Let's get back to Emma, Beva, and Amanda as they join Roberto Ball of SWAP to talk about New Mexico's environmental justice issues.
2: So, here in Albuquerque, clearly at, at the Southwest Organizing Project, we've done work, uh, work around environmental justice and climate change for a long time. We've like very deeply rooted history in that. Um, currently, we're doing a lot of different stuff um, around impacting environmental racism that happens in our own communities. We're involved in a, um, a lawsuit currently with the Kirtland Air Force Base because they've been um, spilling water, uh, uh, jet fuel, into our water and our aquifer for, for years. Uh. And um, they're finally in a process to remediate it but it it hasn't been like uh, it hasn't had actual measurable ways and how they're gonna start moving towards doing that so that's like one thing that we're we've done Roberto's here and you might want to talk about the Santolina mastermind plan
5: hello I'm Roberto from SWAP okay so Santolina uh, Y'all know about Santolina, the new development. Uh, they want to uh, develop 14,000 acres right now and put 38,000 homes there, 100,000 people. And they own 50, uh, Western Albuquerque land holdings, Barclays uh, out of London, they own 55,000 acres on the west side. And they're going to eventually want to develop it all or sell parts of it, and they want to do fracking out there. There's, they're already going after oil permits and that type of thing near Rio Rancho. So we're fighting that big time. We've been fighting this stuff for two years. It went through the county planning commission uh, in 2014, 2015, and then the County Commission approved it last year. And SWAP, along with other folks, ha- are suing the, the County Commission for approving the plan and the zoning changes. There's another separate lawsuit that's going on uh, over the Open Meetings Act, that type of thing. So uh, we're being represented by New Mexico Environment Law Center, uh, but the other folks that are fighting on the Open Meetings Act Uh, They've got a really good attorney that's giving them a really good break, but they're trying to raise money, they're at $8,000 in the hole. So anybody got any extra money, you can uh, just go on uh, Google Santalina. you can find uh, the folks. Uh, We've been meeting at SWAP now, uh, uh, and we continue to organize it. And so there's a lot going on around Santolina. Right now the city's in negotiations trying to buy open space land from Western Albuquerque landholding just to give them more money to set up these operations. So we continue to fight Santolina. There's a lot of different ideas in terms of uh, uh, trading lands from the, the west side for infill in the in- inside the city. And we've, we've got a real good, dedicated group of folks uh, from different organizations doing this, so please join us. Uh, you can find us online, and um, thank you very much. Well, um, not only do I also do
4: work with SWAP, but right now I'm the co-chair for the Central Assan region of Metra. And recently, a lot of our work has really been around environmental justice. Like, what I associate Paris with, to kind of connect it to Albuquerque is, for one, um, a lot of the dynamics that happen at PNM right now. So, for example, like the PNM power plan, it's very similar to COP. There's a lot of false solutions that are being proposed to you know, combat climate change, and I think the most striking one is this kind of concept of uh, energy credits, and how you you can basically buy a piece of paper that says that you are sustainable even when you're not. So that's kind of the direction that PNM has taken, where they say they're switching to renewable energy, but in reality, what they're really doing is buying credits, so they're able to say that they're switching to renewable energy. Mm-hmm. So for me, I think that's a good metaphor of kind of uh, like COP and the context of Here Back Home. And then the second one is um, a campaign that's been going on for a while here in Albuquerque around the dollar store. I don't know if many of you know, but a lot of the items that we purchase at the dollar store have like, some very serious chemicals. Like a lot of them have lead and aluminum and PVC. Um, but that's a good example because where are dollar stores at? Dollar stores are in low-income communities full of brown people. And that's, like, very intentional. We have no choice but to buy the things from the dollar store. So why not pollute them? Like, who cares? It's just a bunch of poor brown people. So I think that's a good example, too, of how environmental injustice trickles down, right? Us as brown people have no choice but to shop at the dollar store and buy all these pollutants and be exposed to that. So for me, those are the two things that kind of helped me tie, like, what happened in Paris to what's going on here in Albuquerque.
3: What gave me hope were were our actions, to see thousands. When I turned back in this last march, and I turned back when we were walking towards the Eiffel Tower, and there were thousands and thousands of people. I had never seen that many people, except maybe on TV at a sports uh, stadium. Uh, the power, the, the strategy, the fearlessness, and the joy in changing our, our, our system was very encouraging to me seeing young people who still believe. Some of us viejitos who have been doing this for a while, is like, you know, let's just move to Denmark, but we don't want to do that, you know? But um, that, that's what gave me encouragement, is just seeing the masses and seeing the young energy.
4: So just to kind of add on to that, um, I think what was hopeful for me, as somebody who's been like a youth organizer and who's done a lot of food justice work, is that a lot of the solutions that people came up with were like food justice, it was planning your own food. Um, And a lot of them, like a lot of the people we went with were people who had started community cooperatives. And I mean, it's always kind of been like our end goal, but like those people are really doing it. Like they're really making it work. So for me, like the most hopeful thing that the solutions were community cooperatives that really like uh, moved away from capitalism. So I think for me, that was kind of the hopeful part of it. Sometimes we talk about this work in a real like existential like, In the future, but there are people who are out there who are like doing it, who are really doing it. So we need to believe that like the work that we're doing is, and that another world is possible. But this one's specifically for my mom. Merci pour venir et pour tout temps. So thank you for coming and for your time. (laughs) Um, And also just thank you to SWAP for sending me and for everybody who kind of advocated for me to get there. I really appreciate it.
3: I want to thank you all for being here today. I lost my mom on uh, Martin Luther King's birthday, and I'm still kind of about that, but after getting a little write-up from Sue that says every time you think about her, she's with you. Every time you see a bird and she reminds you of her, she's with you. So that's kind of how I'm dealing with it, and my mother taught me to be a warrior. She was most definitely, and she's
2: with us today. And I'm just gonna leave you guys with: we're not scientists. I'm definitely not a scientist. You know, I grew up in the South Valley, and I came to swap. I learned so much about environmental justice and environmental racism. I never really understood how it had impacted me, even though I like lived right next to like a you know a dump. It was like in my backyard. And all these like environmental travesties were like literally in my backyard and I like didn't understand until I came to Swap. And I've been able to like develop that over time, but I've still learned like I'm not a scientist. Like I don't have all the exact language or understanding, but I have a deep commitment. And it's this trip to Paris for me was really just like that. It was like a re commitment. But we have to do this. Like, this is my planet. This is, this is my kid's planet. And one of the quotes that I've heard is, we don't get this planet back. We are literally just renting it from our children. And so I'm just going to leave you guys with that. And thank you guys so much for, for joining us and coming out and listening to us talk for a really long time. Appreciate it.
0: The injustice that exists in our community astonishes me, and I'm glad that an organization like SWAP is around to identify and combat the environmental and social racism, and also the false solutions that are pawned off to the people here in New Mexico and around the world.
1: Thank you to Emma Sandoval, Beva Sanchez Padilla, and Amanda Gallegos, and to SWAP for staying fierce in the face of injustice that grips our community. I also want to say that Emma is correct when she says that we're simply renting this earth from our children. We really have to start thinking about those who come in the next generations. If we want the best for them now, we should want the best for them later.
0: Now, here is The Land of Infractment by local hip-hop artist and friend of GJ, Defy.
5: Oil is exploited on the map, they got the oil on tap, enjoying spoils of the frack. They try to lie to us and say that this does not occur. But the truth is the creating agents in our aquifer. Play the mocking bird and face another officer. All in the meanwhile, we're taking rape another plot of Earth.
0: Attention, young journalists of color. The 2016-2017 Generation Justice Fellowship application is now live. If you're a college student or recent graduate of color, don't miss the opportunity to apply for this year-long and intensive community journalism experience, where we emphasize media literacy and media justice.
1: That's right, Erin. Our fourth-year fellows get the chance to gain valuable multimedia skills in radio, video, and print journalism, and have the opportunity to meet and work with local and national journalists. As a fellow myself, I can truly say that this isn't just an opportunity. It's more of a life experience. And the learning that you do here is not just skills. I've learned so much about myself. I've learned about the community and people who work literally every day to make it better. I can honestly say that I am not the same person that I was when I started this fellowship.
0: Wow, Kateri, I'm really happy to hear that you like it so much and that it's benefited you so much as a person. It's also a wonderful opportunity for any young journalist or media maker of color who is ready to truly engage in their community and challenge the status quo of commercial journalism.
1: The last day to turn in applications is coming up fast on Monday, May 16th. So don't wait. Spread the word and visit generationjustice.org for more information.
0: Also happening in the community this week is the Albuquerque High School production of Chicago. The Performing Arts Department, along with International Thespian Troupe 1775 and two blocks off Broadway Production Company, present Chicago for six nights this month.
1: Thespians, students, and community members can catch the show at the Albuquerque High School Theater at 800 Ordelia Road, April 28th to the 30th, with a special dinner theater on the 30th at 5.30 p.m.
0: For all other shows, the house opens at 6.30 p.m. with curtains at 7. For ticket information, you can call 505 843-6400 extension 20340.
1: Now here is Tangaroa Huacamautai by Maisie Rika. We have reached the end of tonight's program. We'd like to thank Emma Sandoval, Beva Sanchez Padilla, and Amanda Gallegos for sharing your experiences with us, and to everyone at the Southwest Organizing Project for the work you do to respect our earth.
0: Thank you to Camaria Umi for engineering tonight's program. Production assistance also came from Kateri Zuni, George Luna Pena, Tamara Kalake, Christina Rodriguez, Polly Danette-Claw, Jennifer Lim, Alden Bruce, and Roberta Rayel.
1: Stay connected with us and check out our website, generationjustice.org, where you can listen to all of our past radio programs, see music playlists, read our blogs, watch videos, and so much more. Our podcasts are available on iTunes, so be sure to subscribe.
0: And we're also active on social media, so be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram.
1: Generation Justice is funded by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, with additional funding from the McCune Foundation, Alma Health Foundation, and of course, all of you who have contributed to our project by visiting our website and clicking donate. Coming up on KUNM is Spoken Word, so stay tuned and join us next Sunday at 7 o'clock. I'm Katery Zuni.
0: And I'm Aaron Hagler. We will leave you with a song from a music legend who challenged societal norms and took us to new levels of funk. He was a prolific entertainer, a lover, and the flyest provocateur. Here is Prince with Raspberry Beret.